0: Welcome to the Ivy Church Podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay? All right. Hey, everybody. Don't you love that video? If you had kids, um, were you thinking, what would my children do? Or maybe you can think back and think, what would I have done when I was a child? Um, it's from a very famous study, the Marshmallow Test. There's a recent book come on about it. A guy called Walter Mischel in 1972 got 32 children, and he did that test with them to see whether they could, and the quote ended up being out of it, delay gratification. And the ones who were able to postpone, to distract, to not just immediately give in, when they tracked those kids through life, they found actually something that they weren't really looking for. But very interestingly, the children who were able to delay gratification, those who were able to do that, when they looked through the rest of their life, they found that they did better educationally. They actually did better physically, like they had lower BMI scores. Uh, they did better uh, with regard to emotional stability and they had fewer behavioral problems when they tracked these things over time. Now, a further study some years later did the same kind of thing and didn't get quite as dramatic results, but it is a very interesting and has been a very influential study. And I just think it helps us, especially when you think about their faces and the struggle that's going on and the picture that that gives to us about what we're going to look at today, which is all about temptation. About temptation. We're in the Bible study, as Pete said earlier, looking at the James, New Testament book of James. If you're here last week, you'll know it's written by Jesus's half brother, his young brother. Joseph was his dad, and Mary was his mum. James, the brother of Jesus. Imagine having a perfect brother, by the way. How, how frustrating must that have been? I'm a middle one. I've got an older brother, and he's a, he was a pretty good guy and did everything right. It can be a little bit of a struggle sometimes. Um, but imagine having a perfect one. He never did anything wrong. Now, as you study this, you can actually go deeper with us by. There's a thing we've got now for our grow groups. You can join in. You can join one of our grow groups and get on this thing called Right Now Media with us, where we're going deeper in the week. An amazing teacher called Francis Chan is taking us as well, deeper into the the Bible, so that you can discuss it together with other people, bring your thoughts, and and we can all uh, learn together what God wants to teach us through this amazing book. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember that we started by James talking about the, the struggles, the trials of life. And he said, actually, when you go through them, rather than complaining, we can consider them something that we can get joy from if we go through them, if we learn how to go through them and, uh, and not to give up under the pressure of them. This series is all about how God has made promises to us through pressure, but it's, it might seem a bit strange that the next thing that he talks about is going straight from trials into temptation. Accept that. Isn't it true that that's what happens very often in your life and mine? It's like perhaps we've just gone through a hard time and we're a little bit more susceptible now to being tempted in those moments. The devil fights dirty. He wants to kick you when you're down. And one specific temptation that James wants to address, we'll see, is the temptation for us to blame God. It's a temptation that can come really easy for us to blame God, not just blame God for the problem, but actually even when we, you know, we can kind of feel like, well, I went through that hard time and now God owes me this indulgence. God owes me this, uh, you know, I can go and get away with a little bit of rebellion now or, yeah, I can stay grumpy at God. I can be angry with God and I can do these things and because, you know, he's not been good to me. And we can end up a little bit angry, a bit rebellious, a little bit resentful of God. I can, as I say, even want to reward myself in some way um, because of what I've gone through and because I've not felt like God was good to me. And so I can have these wrong attitudes or even do wrong actions because of that. Uh, because, And at the end of it, I'll say, you know, it's not my fault that this is happening. We can rationalize, we can justify what we what we end up doing wrong. And that's what James he wants to address right now as we carry on in James chapter one. You might have your Bible open, but let me read to you from verse 13. It says, when tempted, no, no, it says when, not if, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. You know, which would be like me avoiding my own responsibility for my sin, blaming God rather than, you know, well, how can I blame God? I think there's two ways we can do that. Either by saying, well, that's just the way he made me. He made me like this. Or secondly, I can say, Uh, the circumstances that God put me in made it inevitable that I would do that thing so either way we blame God we'll come back to that but that's wrong because he says for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed we are responsible then After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, gives birth to death. The Apostle Paul, by the way, says something very similar in Romans chapter 6, when he says the wages of sin is death. Death pays its wages. But the the free gift of God is in in Jesus Christ is eternal life. It's like you can get the wages or you can get the gift. Verse 16, carrying on. Don't be deceived. Really important. Don't be fooled, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift, by the way, the word gift there is a very particular word in Greek, is linked to the idea of a dose. It's like something that's given freely. Bit, you know, If you're medical, it's the idea of, of a, a dosage, like a cure that is, is given. The correct amount is given to make somebody better. I'll come back to that. It's a medical cure term. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. In other words, he's always a good Father. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. So I'm gonna come back to that second section before we're done and invite you to make the response that's right for you to make. And the response here is to, I wanna offer you, God wants to offer you a brand new life, a complete fresh start, whatever's happened in the past. But before we get to that and you you decide whether or not you're up for that, I'm gonna break this down today into three sections. If you take a photo of this screen, maybe you can review this later, what James is telling us about here. He's going to tell us about the source of temptation, where it comes from and who's actually to blame. Number two, he's going to tell us about and describe the seduction of temptation, how it works, and and that leads to guilt and shame. And finally, he's going to tell us the solution to temptation that you can only get from God. So there's the source, the seduction, and the solution. To temptation so number one what's the source of temptation well you know there are things that can be a source of temptation everywhere that in this world it's impossible for me right now to live in a world that is free of temptation but we can't just blame the world around us because of all the stimuli that there are out there to tempt me because between the stimulus and the response there is a gap and that gap is called choice i get to choose what i do in the moment i can accept I can fall for it or I can' reject it. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says this, the temptations in your life are no different than what anybody else experiences, and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will always provide you with a way out, a way out so that you can bear under it. We're going to talk about and tell you what that way out is before we're done and God's offering you a way out. So none of us have to live bound and helpless and ashamed and guilty and living in the past anymore. God's provided a way out. But before we get to that, number one, let me ask, who deserves, a few questions, who deserves the most credit or blame, depending on how you view it, the most credit or blame for where you currently find yourself in life right now? That's question number one. Just think about it. Number two, who has the biggest influence in your life? And number three, whose advice do you usually act upon the most? Now, if you're a Christian, you're probably going to want to say Jesus. That's the the Christian answer. It's like that old joke about the Sunday school teacher who says to the kids, so, okay, children, what's white and fluffy and eats carrots and is cute? And one of the children says, "Um, well, it sounds awfully like a rabbit, but I know the correct answer is Jesus. (laughs) We're just having the correct answer doesn't mean that we're we're doing the right thing and and if i'm honest actually i influence my life more than anybody else i am chiefly responsible for where i find myself in life right now and while i've tried to listen to the advice of other people and do want to follow god and what he says in the end it's what i think that that changes my life proverbs very famously says as a man thinks in his heart so is he it's our thoughts that control our actions that control our destinies. So, we don't like to think about that. We don't like to admit it. Our culture is very much against the idea that any problem would be a problem with me. The the climate and the culture that we're in do not encourage this kind of ruthless self-examination and moral inventory. We prefer to see ourselves as victims. Victims of circumstances or victims of my upbringing, of what they did to me in the past, or what happened then. But thinking like a victim stops us living victoriously now and in the future, unless we get God's solution. See, God wants you to live not as a vi- as a victim, but as a victor, but and to fulfill the purposes that he's got for you, in your generation. God definitely wants that for you. But there's no way that I can change the world if I don't even know how to change myself or I can't let God change me. The good news is this passage is going to teach us how this works. And the first thing that starts to change is when I take responsibility. When I own up rather than trying to cover up. When I admit rather than trying to defend. And when I, uh, I look at my own fault rather than seeking to blame somebody else. Blaming doesn't help. When I look around and I'm trying to point the finger at somebody else, at, at that teacher who never liked me at school or at the government or that boss at work or that person who was who was nasty to me or, or, or my parents or my DNA or, or being in lockdown or whatever it is, there's all kinds of reasons. We're experts at blame shifting. We even blame God and that's nothing new. It's always been like that. See, right in the beginning, you look at the, be- First few pages of the book of the Bible, and you see what went wrong. When people were put in this perfect environment by God, and he gave them everything so that they could flourish and enjoy life, and he gave them permission to just go and enjoy it all and make the most of it. And he said, There's all, everything of this is yours. There's just one piece of fruit. There's just one tree in the garden. I don't want you to eat the fruit of that garden. But that was what they wanted, it turned out, more than anything else. They were deceived, you see into thinking that God wanted to withhold from them rather than that God wanted to give to them. And so they they took over and they rebelled and in the end they lost it all as a result of that. If you've got your Bibles, maybe you can look at Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to be reading it anyway, but you'll see they ran away from God, their father who loved them. He used to meet with them in the garden every day and walk with them. But because of their sin, they start walking with him and they hide away. Genesis 3 verse 8 says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the lord god as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the lord god among the trees of the garden but the lord god called to the man where are you now it's important to realize this god is a good father we sang about it before he's a good good father Picture him as that. He's not coming to blame. He's not coming to shame. He knows exactly where they are. An all-knowing God doesn't ask questions because he needs to know the answer. He knows exactly who they are, where they are. And, And they're hiding, but he's not. He's saying, I'm here. Where are you? He's hoping that they'll own up. I really, As I read this through, I see it. If you can imagine, this is the way in which he's he's coming to them. He's hoping that they'll just tell the truth. He's asking diagnostic questions to get to the bottom of the problem. And what does Adam answer? Adam answered, verse 10, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. He's afraid. He's anxious. He's ashamed. And you see, what's happened now, it's not I did a bad thing. It's I am a bad person now. And, and I, I need to hide. I need to be ashamed of that shadow part of me. I, I can't let anybody see that that me that, uh, anymore. I need to go and find somewhere to hide away in the garden. You see, God had no problem at all with their nakedness. He's their, he's, he's their father, they're his children. He wasn't bothered about their nakedness. It was a picture of transparency. It's a picture of vulnerability and safety with God, that they could be together like that. That's just how God wants us to be. Nothing to hide, nothing to hide away. So now God wants to check the source of their thinking, the source of the temptation. So verse 11, he said, who told you that you were naked? It's like, who made you feel bad about that? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now imagine not hearing that with an angry voice. Imagine God speaking that kindly as he's questioning. Like he's saying, I just, I just wonder, have you done something that you're feeling bad about? And maybe you could come clean about that. Imagine it, with, it said with a kind voice. He's not, he's not coming to judge the bad thing that they did. They're his children and he loves them. Psalm 103 verse 10 says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Why? Verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. God knew what he made Adam from, dust. He knows he's only human. And then he breathed his life-giving spirit into him. He knows how fragile, how frail we are, how prone we are to temptation. Richard Raw says, however, that pain that is not transformed is transmitted. In other words, if I don't bring it out into the light, the darkness just grows and it spreads around me and makes everything a mess. But God is saying now, if you tell me where it hurts, I can make it better. But they've been deceived into not wanting to tell him the truth, into what, what kind of God he is that they're talking to. And that deception is actually what led them to fall in this way. That's why they end up hiding away. The other day, Daniel and Poppy, my, my grandchildren, went into the kitchen cupboard and they um, they found a box of flakes. And then I walked out into the garden in the cool of the day and Poppy had something behind her back like this. And I thought, oh, hello. And then um, they're they were only... They're only you know, this starts really young, doesn't it? In case you're wondering, this is in everybody. And then I put them on the swing and I started to push them. And then I saw that there were flake wrappers around the garden in different places. And so I I like wondered and I said, oh, it's interesting, isn't it, Daniel and Poppy? I wonder where all the, where's the flake wrappers coming from? And after a bit, Daniel said, do you want one? And then he took me, and they'd hidden them in the sand pit. Now, I'm not like God, I have to say, in this sense, because I ate the flakes with them. (laughs) I joined in two. I also was tempted. Well, maybe I hope that actually underlines the point rather than spoiling it for him. Because what's Adam's next move? He takes it like a man by blaming his wife. Verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It's like, you know, great one, good one, Adam. It, it, he doesn't just actually blame Eve, although he does blame Eve and says she's basically substandard material, that you gave me God. She, he also blames God. So, okay, God then turns to Eve and gives her the same opportunity to come clean. Verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, that's actually better when you think about it. She's braver than Adam. It's still shifting the blame, but at least she admits to being deceived. And she points to the devil as the source, not to God, as Adam did. as the the reason for all the mess that they're in, which is what James now wants to address, remember. So why does James say, do not be deceived? Because we get deceived, all of us. Don't be deceived, it's not God's fault. It's not just how he made you. It's not inevitable because I had a tough day, so I had a drink and then I got drunk and I ended up shouting at everybody. And God made beer, so it's his fault. No, who's... God's not making you do anything. He made you, but he's not making you do anything. You are responsible. I am response-able. The gap between the stimulus and the response is up to me what I fill it with. I am response-able. James says God can't tempt you. He can't tempt you. It literally says he himself is untemptable. Remember, as I said before, James has grown up with this incredible older brother called Jesus who he never saw sin. God is immune to sin. He is holy, holy, holy. He's perfectly holy. That's really important to grasp, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But God doesn't have anything to tempt you with, is what he's saying here. He's not the source of your temptation. So you do have to check the source of that thought or that attitude or that action and that temptation. And it never comes from him. Now, yes, I do believe in a personal devil as well as a personal God. who who wants to mess up our lives, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But let's not give him too much credit like Eve does, because we can't say the devil made me do it. The devil never made you do anything. He can't do that. He hasn't got enough power to be able to do that. Going back to Genesis 3 again, if you've got your Bible, you can look there again and just look a little bit further up. We're going to see how all the trouble started for Adam and Eve. And by the way, they're both together here, standing together when this is happening. It's not just Eve standing by the tree. It's just that only Eve does the talking while Adam stands around like blokes do, like this, a bit dopey and wondering how it's going to pan out. I'm hoping it's going to be okay. Now, verse three, the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, the correct answer to that is no, God did not really say that. He gave us all these amazing trees in this perfect paradise that is made. We get to live here, walk with Him, work with Him. We've got the most amazing food. And so, actually, I take the authority that is given over all the created things and I say to you, Snake Face, be gone. That's the correct answer. That's not what he's given. See, the temptation is always, the first temptation is to misrepresent who God is. To say that he's not a good, good father, but he's stingy. He, is, he's, he doesn't want to give you good gifts. It's really important to remember that, because that's the source of every temptation that says that what God wants to give you is not enough. What God gave you to enjoy is not good enough, and he's not good enough to give you the best. Go and get that thing instead, then you'll be happy. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now, you can see from that line that the deception has begun to work. Why? Because God didn't say, don't touch it. He just said, don't eat it. But when they swallowed the lie, something started to die physically It didn't happen immediately. It happened eventually. But spiritually, death started to come because the poison was working its way through. Verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. In other words, God is a liar. You can't trust him, but you can trust yourself to know what is right and what is wrong. You decide. Don't listen to what he says. If you want to be happy, if you then do what you want. If you do what you want, you'll be free. By the way, that is the motto of the church of Satan. If you do what you want, then you will be free. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. It looked good. Why? Because it was good. God only made good things in his original intention, but something got corrupted when she reached out and she thought, if I do this, I'm doing it because I know better than God what is right for me. That's the key. She's thinking, what's good for me? I decide, I get to choose what's right and wrong. I get to choose what's good and not. I decide. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, said that before, And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together to try and cover up. See the progression? They saw it. They wanted it. They desired it. They ate it. And then they're ashamed and they try and cover up. And when confronted, they feel guilty and try and shift the blame. See, we've looked at the source of temptation. And what we see there is the pattern of the seduction of temptation which James describes so perfectly. This is how it works for everybody. Look at verse 14 again. I'll try and pull a few things more out from this. It says, each person, every human, you're not that special in this sense, we all are tempted when, what? They are dragged away, dragged away, that's a hunting term, you put your foot in the trap by your own evil desire, literally by the lust. There is a lust, it's different bait for you than it is For me, what is repulsive to one person is very attractive to another person and enticed. Fishing term, allure, shiny, looks beautiful, enticing, but look out, there's a hook, there's hooks in it too. And the hook is connected to a line, which is connected to an angler who's sitting there with a net There's a trap. Then, after desire has conceived, starts out in embryonic form, just a little idea. Ooh, wouldn't that be nice? It gives birth to what? Sin. A very, very ugly baby that grows fast. When it is full grown, it gives birth to death. It doesn't stay small. It will eat you out of house and home. It will take over your life. What promises freedom traps you. What looks to make you more alive in the moment leads to death. Death of relationships, death of self-esteem, death of trust, death of self-respect, death of, death of reputation. And in the end, when we physically die, if we've not come to that spiritual rebirth through Jesus Christ, James talks about, death forever without connection to God. So what do I do? Blame can't shift it. Shame just makes it worse. I try and hide it away. I try and cover it up. Try and justify it. I try and fight against that shadow part of myself. I promise I'm never gonna do that anymore. I'm gonna change, I try and change, but it's just like making fig leaf clothes and they fall to bits. I try my best to do some more good works. I hope that they somehow outweigh the bad works that I've done, but that's like a slippy ladder that I climb up three rungs and then right down the bottom of it again, because we don't need to work harder. We, we can't just get better ourselves. We've all got the problem. Let's sum up so far. James has talked about the source of temptation. It's never God. He's shown us the seduction of temptation, how it leads to death, and how we can all fall for it, and we can't fix the problem. No human can, because we are the problem. Finally, are you ready for the solution? I hope you're ready for the solution to temptation, the only solution, really. I hope you're ready, because in a minute, I'm going to ask you to sign up for this one solution. James 1 verse 16 says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. I hope we've covered that already. Don't be deceived into thinking you're not to blame or to blame somebody else or try and get off the hook. Or that you can get yourself off the hook. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God is... A good, good father, the father of lights. He's not come to give us lightning bolts. He's come to, with free gifts for us if we'll open up our hands and take them. If we Don't refuse the free gifts because of sin that you want to hold on to that will just lead to death. He doesn't want that. Verse 18, he chose to give us birth, new, new life, through the word of truth about Jesus Christ, that we might be a kind of first fruit of all that he created. There's, there's only one way that you can be saved and I can be saved. It's new birth by believing the truth about Jesus Christ, who said he did not come to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. And in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to say a prayer and say, I want that for myself, either to, to commit to that or to recommit if you know you've wandered away from that love. Then I want to do you to do something else. I, I need you to tell me on Facebook or on Slido or email hi at ivychurch.org. Tell me that you did that so I can pray for you, so we can pray for you and actually send you some free materials to help you. But you've got to take the, the cure first. Ask Jesus to save you. He's the only way. Now you might think this only way stuff is a bit narrow. I might say, well, Anthony, there's all kinds of ideas out there. There's hundreds, thousands of religions and philosophies. And why are you? It's a bit narrow-minded of you to say that only Jesus. But listen. Imagine if a vaccine was created, and I had it here, for COVID-19. Uh, if I had that vaccine. Imagine if it had been tested on billions of people and it worked 100% of the time for everybody who received that vaccine. Would you say, ah, but isn't that a bit narrow-minded? Isn't the president, didn't the president say that I should be injecting uh, Domestos and then that might make me feel better? Or, or, you know, didn't somebody on the internet say that I could put a lemon and cut it in half and put it in the kitchen and that would take it all away? Or, or?" Would you accuse me of being narrow-minded because I'm offering you what works for me and what works for everybody who says yes to Jesus Christ that comes down from the Father of lights as the cure for the darkness of the human condition. You have every right to say, no, thank you. I'm going to gargle salt water because I read that cures it on the internet. Or I'm going to try and get light inside my body somehow. Nobody's going to force you to do that. But the only way to get light inside you is to get Jesus inside you because he's the light of the world. And listen, while you make your mind up, there's no herd immunity for the disease of sin. Just knowing some Christians and being around them doesn't make you immune. You have to roll up your sleeve and get the injection yourself. Remember, temptation leads to sin, which leads to death. It's fatal in 100% of humans. But Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's holy. He's immune. He, was never, he never had the disease of sin, which is why he rose from the dead. The Bible says it was impossible that death should hold him. He's the Lord of life. The Bible said, however, he's able to sympathize with us because he has been tempted in every way like we have, yet without sin. And his perfect, sinless blood was shed on the cross as the only antidote For sinfulness like the old hymn says there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains I know what it's like to do that when you stop shifting the blame and living in shame and you don't try and cover it up but you come to Jesus and say would you be the king of my life would you just take over in every area I need and want every good and perfect gift that you, my heavenly Father, want to give me so that I can really live for free. So where you are now, why don't you do this with me? Just open up your hands wherever you are. If you're ready to pray, maybe stand up if you want to and and say, yes, I want all the gifts that God has got for me. And he's got so many. He's got countless gifts. Just He's drawing close to you right now where you are. And he's coming to you and he's saying, where are you? And don't be scared of the question because he's a good, good father. Just say, I'm right here. right here father and when he says what have you done be honest if there's something that you've done that if i knew about it you'd be ashamed to tell me well look he knows all about it anyway and he loves you just as you are and jesus has already paid the price for it the bible says if anybody who conceals his sin doesn't prosper but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy that's the first gift put your hands out and receive the gift of mercy from jesus christ it's getting injection of mercy from the cross so that He paid the price already for the sin. So it comes. This comes free for me. There's no cost to the cure, except it cost Him everything to get it to me. The punishment for my sins two thousand years ago happened on the cross when Jesus took it all. So Lord, just say I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. But I receive that good and perfect gift coming down. Imagine that gift coming down. Mercy now from the Father of Lights. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. But yes to, to that Lord. If sins and past temptations come to mind little voice says you don't you, you can't it won't work for you spirit of God says the way to come clean is just come as you are the father of lights has only got good gifts for you what good gifts too many to count but as you're there and as you're standing there and receiving them here's the best gift open up your heart to receive the best gift And the most famous verse in the Bible says God soul of the world that he gave his only son his greatest gift is himself so tell jesus jesus i need you i need you to come i need you to take over i need you to give me that new birth that fresh start to break the power of temptation and sin in my life i need the fresh start that only you can give i need a new birth now i need a, f- a whole new life God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him, not whoever's never messed up, not whoever's always got it right, but anybody who stops trying to save themselves and just trusts in him will not perish, won't, won't be like everything else around you in the world that is, is destined for destruction, but when you die, you'll last forever because you will have, that verse says, eternal, everlasting life. The, the father wants to give you Not what you deserve, but what you need. Ask right now and you'll receive talk with him. I really want you to let me know. Let us know if that was something that you've just done because it's a huge thing we want to celebrate. Email me, hi at ivychurch.org and let me know uh, that you've taken God's solution for our temptation. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org slash media.